This is the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him uh, anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with uh, shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among uh, the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when uh, uh, he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down uh, before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a herd, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those uh, who had uh, seen it described to them what had happened uh, to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their, from their region as he was... Getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might uh, be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and, let them, uh, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you uh, for the gospels, uh, particularly that record for us these encounters where the Son of God who has come uh, down to this world in love um, has encountered the most broken and and is stirred with compassion and uses his power and his authority um, to set people free. And Lord, we long to know that, that same freedom in our lives. And we pray that that same compassion and love would be known by many in our church. And so we pray that you would be our teacher now. Would your Holy Spirit instruct us, encourage us, and lead us to Jesus, that we would respond to him with faith, trust, and obedience. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're continuing our study through the gospel of uh, Mark this morning, we come to the story of, of Jesus' encounter with a, a man uh, possessed 
by an unclean spirit who lived uh, among the tombs. And he lived in a town, it's probably a town called Kersey that's on the, on the east shore, eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And uh, actually, if you go there today, just a couple miles south of that town, there are these subterranean caves where uh, people uh, you know, buried their dead. And the poor would go live in these caves. And this man lived in, in those caves. And, uh, um, and Jesus encounters him, uh, and he's possessed with a demon. And as we read a story like this, you might say, well, I wonder why, why is this story here? You know, Jesus healed many people. Jesus cast demons out of many people. Why does Mark give such detail and attention to this particular story? And the only answer I could think of is that, that Mark wants us to see that Jesus loves the broken. Jesus loves people who are broken. And this passage describes really an incredible transformation of a man who is deeply uh, broken. And, and it says that after Jesus cared for him, he, he was uh, uh, um, well-clothed and in his right mind. Jesus brought sanity to him. And I think this story is here because we have a tendency to, think, uh, to believe that churches are places for people who are clothed and in their right minds. And uh, you might feel that when you come here and think, you know, all these people at church, they have their lives together and they have nice clothes and they're in their right minds, but I know what's happening inside of me and I'm not sure I really belong here. I'm dealing with things that are different than what other people are, are dealing with. And Mark has placed this story here to remind us over and over again that Jesus loves the broken. And my hope is that this is a comfort for you in, in your own brokenness. And maybe you have a brokenness that's very visible. You know, like this man, everyone in this town knew about him, and he was kind of the crazy guy who lived in the tombs. Maybe you have a very visible brokenness, or maybe you have a brokenness that's hidden that no one knows about, but you know about that troubles you all the time. Either way, the gospel shows us if you are the broken, you are the one that Jesus came for. Jesus came for men like this. And so as we look at this story from Mark chapter 5, I'd like to answer a three questions for us from this passage. And this is, this is what they are. Who are the broken? How does Jesus love the broken? And what are Jesus' plans for the broken? Who are the broken? How does Jesus love the broken? And what are Jesus' plans for the broken? I think this is a tremendously hopeful and compassionate passage and a, a good, comforting word for us this morning. So three questions on Jesus' encounter with the broken. And the first is this, who are the broken? And I want to point out four characteristics that we see in this man that Jesus encounters, four answers to the question, who are the broken? And the first answer is this, that the broken are alone. The broken are alone. And you see that in verse one, where it says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Now, for the first uh, Jewish readers of this story, they would not only be kind of creeped out by the, who's that guy who lives in the tombs? He sounds like he's from like a horror movie or something like that. And he breaks his chains and no one could go near him. He's really violent. And that's true. They would have been probably creeped out about that like we would, but also um, the main thing about this passage is the uncleanness of it. And uh, in the Old Testament, one of the primary things that made a person ceremonially unclean, religiously unclean, was being around dead 
bodies or, you know, dead carcasses. Death is what made you unclean. And here's a guy who just lives around uh, dead bodies. And what being unclean meant was that you had a distance. You could not come near uh, God and worship and come near his, the, the community of God's people who worshiped. And so um, the first thing that we learn about the brokenness of this man is his isolation from the loving community of God's people. And I think often in our own brokenness, that's the way that brokenness appears in our lives. It's hard for us to, maybe you're that way, you say it's hard for me to draw near to people. I keep people at a distance. I don't know how to connect with people or to love people or to be loved. That's a part of my brokenness is the relationships, relationships to God. It's hard for me to know God's love for me and to feel like I'm close to him and, and, uh, and relationships and love with other people. And so the first is that the broken are alone. But as uh, uncleanness is closely tied to death in the Old Testament, uh, the second quality that we see of the broken in this passage is that the broken are in a culture of death. The broken are alone and in a culture of death. This man's home is surrounded by death. And uh, John Calvin uh, describes it this way. He says, this wretched man was kept among the graves by an unclean spirit. He says the spirit kept him by the tombs that he might have an opportunity of terrifying him continually with the mournful spectacle of death as if he were cut off from the society of men and already dwelt among the dead. And so this unclean spirit is constantly making this man think about death all the time. And our culture has a similar quality of, of being surrounded by death. I mean, we live in the most wealthy culture in the history of the world, and yet we're plagued by, by mass shootings, increases in, uh, in homicides, a million abortions a year in our culture, teen suicide rates, even before COVID, were increasing at alarming rates, and then during COVID has just accelerated. There's deep levels of fear and anxiety, and of course, COVID has aggravated all of this, we live in a culture of death. And as we look at this man, what does a culture of death produce in people? Well, you see what it did in this man, verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Fear and self-harm is what a culture of death produces. Deep, profound anxiety. I mean, he's shrieking in the, in the night and he's cutting himself. This is exactly the kind of story that our culture needs right now. And I'm so grateful that Mark includes these details because on the fir at first we think, wow, this guy is so creepy. And then we read these details and we realize, I'm not sure how different he is than what we're, the things we're struggling with in our culture are actually not that far off. And what honesty and hope to find that Jesus loves people who are fearful and who are harming themselves. Great compassion. And so who are the broken? First, they're alone and they're immersed in a culture of death. The third thing we see is that the broken feel out of control. The broken feel out of control. And you, you see that there in verse 3 where it says, He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. 
As this man's dealing with, dealing with uncontrollable violence, you know, his family's probably like, how do we, how do we deal with this man and control him and, and you know, uh, uh, um, help him control himself? And actually the Talmud, the Talmud was a, the, the Jewish kind of rabbinic law that has uh, kind of shaped Ju- uh, the culture of Judaism for centuries, said that there were four characteristics of madness. Uh, walking abroad at night, spending the night on a grave, tearing one's clothes, and destroying what one was given. And we see all those four characteristics of madness in this man. Brokenness feels like a form of madness. And I know I've experienced that in my own brokenness, that I feel like I'm going crazy. And maybe you felt like that. I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like I can't control my own emotions, my own thoughts. And feeling out of control is something that the Apostle Paul says that we all experience to varying degrees. In Romans 7, he has that famous line where he says, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. There is a lack of control that's in all of our brokenness. And part of the reason for that is a fourth answer to who are the broken. Okay, alone, immersed in a culture of death, having a sense of being out of control. And fourth, that the broken are spiritually oppressed. This man was spiritually oppressed by an unclean spirit. And I know that some of you might read a passage like this and think, you know, I'm not sure it's a good idea for the Bible to be saying that people who are struggling with, you know, mental health, mental illness, have a demon. And the Bible doesn't always do that. It's not the Bible says everyone who has, you know, uh, psychological problems has a demon. But what the Bible does say is that we are complex people and our brokenness is complex. Our brokenness is, is physiological, it's psychological, it's also spiritual. And whatever kind of healing and wholeness that's going to come to our brokenness is going to have to deal with the whole person. And, it, and our culture neglects the spiritual and says there's no spiritual component to that. The Bible doesn't say that. Of course, there's a profoundly spiritual component to who we are and to our brokenness. And so who are the broken? They are those who are alone, isolated from the loving community of God's people. They're immersed in a culture of death that creates fear and self-harm in them. And they feel a sense of being out of control. control. They do the very things that they hate. And all of this comes from a spiritual oppression of evil. And if you can identify with any of those qualities of brokenness, you've probably felt at times in the church, I'm not sure if I belong here. I'm not sure if anyone else is dealing with what I'm dealing with that's happening inside of me. We think, aren't churches supposed to be a places of good Christian people? That's where good Christian people go. And I'm feeling this brokenness within me. And that's why Mark is giving so much space to this story, to say, no, Jesus loves the broken. That's why he came. And so that leads to our second question, is how does Jesus love the broken? How does Jesus love the broken? And I'd like to point out two answers to that question. The first is, He loves them by asking them their name. He asks them their name. And you see that in verse 6 where it says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Jesus starts with a question. Who are you? What's your name? 
And it's not clear, is Jesus talking to the man or is he talking to the unclean spirit, the demon that's inside of him? It's not really clear. It seems, though, that he's talking to the man. Who are you? Who are you? Uh, Either way, he's beginning with a question before he begins with a command. Before he tells this man what to do, this is how you should get your life together, he first asks, who are you? And it, it makes us realize that this is how Jesus loves the broken in our church. As the broken, as we as the broken, as other broken come to this church, uh, this, Jesus is asking them that question, who are you? And we should find, as, you know, not just in the church, but out in our workplaces and our families and our friendships, people should find that we are the people who are willing to be interested in who they are. What is your story? Who are you? And it turns out that the question, what is your name, brought with it a deeper answer in this story. And you see that there in the second part of verse 9, where it says, He replied, we are legion, for we are many. And a legion was a military term, the Roman, you know, it was like 6,000 Roman soldiers. And, and that question, what is your name, uncovered an inner world of profound hurt in this man. A multitude of unclean forces were at work in this man. And the beginning of healing for this man was Jesus says, I need to hear about what's going on in the inside. It needs to be come out. It needs to be said. It needs to be told. It needs to be known. That's the beginning of healing. And that's what Jesus intends to do in communities like our church. Jesus, through his questions and through his loving invitation, is uncovering deep and complex hurts in people. That's what we should expect is happening in the church. Jesus uncovering deep and complex hurts within us. And a, a Dan Allender, who's a Christian counselor, he wrote a book called uh, The Healing Path. And in The Healing Path, he tells this story about being on an airplane, sitting next to a man, and how they got into this conversation about the man's childhood and all kinds of things that he'd experienced and hurts that he'd experienced in his life. And at one point in telling the story, Allender says this. He says, it's hard to state the next point loudly enough. People in pain want to talk. People in pain want to talk. They are very forgiving of our errors as long as we are neither pushy nor arrogant. We can bumble and learn. The reward is enormous. I think that's a profound insight for us to know is that our world is filled with broken, hurting people and people in pain want to talk. If there is someone who is not pushy and arrogant, is humble and willing to listen and and cares and is interested, do we know that? That the broken want to talk. And if we're not pushy or arrogant, people will let us into the darkness in their lives that maybe no one else has ever heard about in their life. They've never told anyone. They've never had an opportunity to tell anyone. And so Jesus loves the broken by starting with the question, what's your name? Who are you? What's your story? And so you might say that he begins the healing with, with an empathy a willingness to listen and to understand, to be with this man and to understand his brokenness. But that's not the only way that Jesus loves this man is with empathy. But there's a second way that he loves him is he becomes, Jesus becomes a good authority in his life. Okay, so he asks him his name and then he becomes a good authority in his life. 
And when we see stories like this one, uh, that's one of the main things, you know, in, uh, in the stories about demon possession where Jesus casts out demons, it's constantly talking about Jesus' authority over the demons, which is really interesting because many people think of, uh, you know, good and evil in the world as basically these opposites. There's kind of God who's good and then there's the devil who's evil and they're kind of at war with each other and they're equal opposites. But we come to a passage like this and we realize, no, it's not like that at all. Jesus has authority over both good and evil. He is the supreme Lord and judge and creator of everything, which is an incredibly hopeful thought to think Jesus has authority not just over the good, but even over the brokenness we experience in our lives. He can exercise his authority. And you see what it says there in verse 10, where it says, And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a, herd, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Jesus gave permission to these demons to leave because he has authority over them. The unclean spirits are under the command of Jesus. What the broken need is a good authority in their lives. And you know, many of us have had bad authorities in our lives. Many of you might say that's really been the source of a lot of the brokenness in my life is bad authorities Maybe it was bad family members or, 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 or bad uh, influence or the people who had power and influence in my life who really hurt me deeply. And this man has been under spiritual uh, authority and uh, probably a bad broken family was a, a part of his brokenness from the beginning. And the way Jesus loves the broken is by becoming a strong and good and honest and present authority in their lives. I mean, how many of us long for that? I want someone strong and present who knows me and who's going to encourage me, who's going to challenge me, say hard things to me, is going to, uh, you know, give me direction, who's someone I can kind of pour out my heart to and say these are all the things that are happening in my life and they're not afraid of that and they believe in me and they can see my future and they can give me direction. How many of us long to have that kind of strong person in our life? That is exactly who Jesus is. That is who he is to us. Jesus is that authority. And one of the things that Jesus does with his authority is he gives permission to the demons to leave. And he says, you know what? They can leave this man. And you might think that's kind of weird language, Jesus giving permission to the demons. But, I, you know, I think of, you know, we have kind of, you might say, metaphorical demons within us that kind of haunt us. And often there are things that say to us that, you know, we're foul and dirty and useless and good for nothing. And how do you get rid of those things in our brokenness that just kind of haunt us? In some ways, we need an authority to say it's okay to let them go. Because those things are often a mixture, come from a mixture of things that we have done wrong. We've done shameful things. We are all sinners. And so they're partly true that we are sin, sinful and guilty. And then there are other lies from the devil that aren't true about us. And we can't untangle what's true, what's not true. I don't really know. But both of them... Jesus, the authority, says you are set free. He gives permission for us to let go of our demons so that we might have freedom. We need someone with authority to set us free. And so who are the broken? Those who are alone, immersed in a culture of death, who don't feel in control and are under spiritual oppression. And how does Jesus love them? By asking their names, who are you? By becoming a good and strong and loving authority in their lives. And this is how healing happens to the broken. 
Jesus knows them and becomes an authority in their life. This is how, if you want to know, how does, how does healing happen in your brokenness? This is how it happens. Now, I know some of you are wondering, you say, well, you know, what's the deal with the pigs and the demons go into the pigs and then the pigs run into the sea? And I spent some time trying to come up with an answer to it. I, I just don't have one. It's a weird story. And uh, I have some thoughts, but what that tells us is the main point of the story is not what's the deal with the pigs. The main point of the story is the healing that's brought to this man who's broken. The tremendous love and hope and com- compassion that Jesus shows to him. And to us who feel our own brokenness and to know that that same Lord and Jesus is here present ministering to us now, knows us and loves us. And so this leads to our last question, is what then are Jesus' plans for the broken? So we've looked at who are the broken, how does he love them, by asking their name and being a good authority in their lives. But last, what are his plans for, for us as the broken? And again, I want to give uh, two answers to that question. Okay, the first is, that Jesus' plans for the broken are that he brings order to their lives. Jesus brings order into the lives of the broken. And you see that there in verse 15 where it says, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and uh, people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed, and in his right mind. It's an amazing picture that here's this man. He's now clothed and he's in his right mind. And his new life looks ordered, well-ordered. You know, uh, his clothing and his thinking, he had been living in total chaos. His emotional life, his mind was in chaos. His inner life was fractured with all these unclean spirits, ripping apart in different directions. And now it's, the Lord brings order into chaos. That's part of how the Lord loves us and cares for us. And uh, what that means is that Jesus is not only here to welcome the broken. You know, he, he loves us in our brokenness. He asks us, he's compassionate, he's empathetic, he's a good authority in our lives. But one thing that we have to know is Jesus is not going to just affirm us in our brokenness and say, I just love you the way you are, and no matter what you do, it doesn't really matter. That's not love. You know, the Bible says that we're all like orphans, you know, that are off aimless, and God is like a father who came and adopted us and he brought us into his family. And when a good, loving father grabs an orphan and brings them into his family, what does he do with them? Well, he's going to feed them and he's going to clothe them and he's going to play with them and he's going to be kind to them. He's also going to teach them. He's going to discipline them. He's going to teach them to work. He's going to say, you're going to have to study. You're going to have to learn. You're going you're gonna to have to be able to function in society. I'm going to bring order to your life. That's what a good, loving family does. And oftentimes, much of the brokenness in our lives comes from the families we grew up in. And that's likely true about the man in this story. And broken homes are chaotic. They're emotionally volatile. And when your inner life and your outer life are disordered, it takes time for that order, for Jesus to bring that order. I know in this story, you know, there's kind of a sudden healing that happens, but that's generally not what our lives are like. It takes time. You know, if you grew up in a, in a home that was chaotic for 18 years, how long is it going to take in your new family to learn that new order and order in your thinking? It's going to take time, and we have to expect that as a church. It's going to take time for me. It's going to take time for you. It's going to take time for anyone who comes here. It's like a new childhood. If it took 18 years 
to learn the chaos. It might take 18 years to learn the loving order of our Father, but he is doing that work. And you might think that if, uh, if Jesus is bringing order to broken people's lives, won't the demand for order create a deeper sense of shame in them? You know, they already feel shame about their brokenness, and then they come, and the Lord's like, well, you're going to have to have new order in your life, and then they're going to feel bad because I'm always constantly, you know, I'm undisciplined, and, and it's just going to, you know, amplify the shame. Well, this is the thing. If you become a Christian, do you know what the first place of order that God brings into your life is? He says, I want you to meet with me every Sunday with my people, and I want you to hear about my grace. The main structure you need is to receive grace. You know, and if you ever have order where, you know, someone's like, hey, I'm going to teach you to read the Bible and to pray every day, it's not so that you can prove to God what a good person you are. It's so that you can hear about his grace because he knows that we're going to be tempted towards shame. And he says, you're going to have to hear over and over and over again about my grace. And so the main order that he brings into our life is structure that communicates his grace to us. We need grace over and over. And when that happens... That leads to a second answer so, to what are Jesus' plans for the broken. So what are Jesus' plans for the broken? For one, he's going to bring order into chaos. The second thing, which is absolutely incredible, is he uses our brokenness to give grace to other people. He uses our brokenness to give grace to other people. And this is the surprising ending to this story. You know, you come into verse 18 where it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. You know, this poor guy, his life's changed. He said, Jesus, can I walk with you and follow you? And then it says, and he did not permit him. He said, ah, oh, why? Why won't you let the guy be with you, Jesus? Well, we see the answer there in verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This man now has a mission. Why can he not be with Jesus? Because Jesus says, you need to go tell other people about my grace. You know how broken you were. You know the love that I can show to the broken, and there are many more broken people out there that need to hear about that grace. And you think about this man who, how many years was he living in the tombs and, and you know, isolated and uh, immersed in a culture of death and out of control and spiritually oppressed. And you think of all that time and say, Lord, why did you make that man suffer so long? And some of you feel that about your own brokenness in life. Lord, why would you let me experience such brokenness in my life? And here's this man after all those years. Jesus heals him. And now he has a unique message that he can say to people about God's grace that no one else can say that story. Here we are 2,000 years later talking about his same story and receiving encouragement from his brokenness that Jesus came and gave to him. And that's going to be the question at the end of our lives with all of the brokenness we've experienced. If that brokenness led us to experience the grace of Jesus and that brokenness enabled us to love other people, was it worth it? When you stand before God and you look back on your life and say, this is, God says, this is the story that I wrote for you and it included all this brokenness, but it had my purposes for grace in it. Will we praise him and say, 
that was a good story. Even though it was filled with brokenness, that's what's true with this man. And if you are in Christ Jesus, that is true for you as well. So there's immense hope in this passage. The gospel is the hope of the broken. The church is the place of the broken. And Jesus is the lover of the broken. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you, Lord, that you gather us who were all orphans, wandering and lost, and you have sought us out and picked us up, and you've brought us into your home, a home of love and compassion, kindness, peace, and order. And Lord, we long to know more of your love in the places of our brokenness. And uh, Lord, you know each one of us, the ways that we are broken. Teach us to speak of our brokenness to you and to one another. And may this be a place of healing. Lord, would we not be afraid of you bringing the broken here? Would we welcome them as you have welcomed us? And we ask this.